Scene 2. The Great Raspberry Wood Elf Village, leading off Fennel Base. Spy Woden's Day, Terse. Morning, 5th of April, 1284. Along the forest floor, tucked close to the trunks of the sequoia trees beneath Thor's base, a happy-go-lucky young elf dressed in a green shirt and light brown dungaree trousers strolls up to a fruit and vegetable stand, waving his hand and greeting the pretty young vendor. Health and happiness to you, Miss Buttercup. A bright, cheery smile greets him in return. Welcome, Mr. Lynx. You bring sunshine to this place. Can I interest you in some apples? Reverend Johnny Appleseed's visit has really sparked interest in planting apple seeds. You can eat those delicious apples, and there are free seeds inside to plant your own apple trees if you wish. Even at ground level, it is a prestige item to own real estate attached to a sequoia tree. Slate shingles testify to the success of Buttercup's family fruit and vegetable business. Her charm and feminine wiles have played a part in their recent upturn in sales. Lynx chuckles to himself awkwardly. Actually, I'm here to talk about a bad apple. Buttercup instantly erases any friendliness from her face and switches mode to a blank expression of bureaucratic impartiality. I'm sorry, but we don't offer refunds on bad apples. We cannot put them back, since even one rotten apple spoils the bunch. Yes, so I've heard. Lynx picks up one of her apples and polishes it on his shirt. Actually, I was speaking about one of your customers metaphorically. I don't seem to recall a customer named Metaphor Ickley, or anything like that. Do you have a civil dispute with him, or is this a criminal case? She asks in a standoffish manner. Neither, it's just a personal matter. What can you tell me about Monsieur and Ganyan Gandorfson? The expression on Miss Buttercup's face darkens to a mien of cruel calculation that would pluck the feathers off an angel's wings. Nervous and intimidated by her sudden rush of anger, Lynx accidentally stumbles back into the apple cart and tips it over. Sorry, he says with a troubled grin. I didn't mean to upset the apple cart. I'll pick those up for you. As he gathers the apples that fell on the ground, Buttercup comes over with a bag and puts the dirty apples in it. You are going to have to pay for those. That'll be two farthings for the apples and the sack. Lynx takes out two silver quarters and tucks them in her palm. She snatches them away and parades back behind her stand like a bully who just shoved over a little kid. Resentment at her treatment builds inside his chest until Lynx decides to press on so as to get his money's worth out of this confrontation. So now, you were going to tell me about Monsieur Ingenian? Was I? I don't recall promising you anything. But since we are in a democracy, you have the right to hear my political opinions. Monsieur Ingenian is the best choice for umpire-in-chief, and he would be on the ballot if it weren't for that brat, Mademoiselle Florence. Her father is rotten to the core. Lynx is suddenly confused. Wait, Mademoiselle Florence is a nice girl. She's nothing like her father. The apple rarely falls far from the tree. Lynx cannot believe how confused this pretty fruit seller has become. Yeah, maybe for green apples, but look at this orange apple here. You don't let something like this just fall on the ground. You pick it off the tree and put it in a basket. It's the same with Mademoiselle Florence. She's hand-picked, kind and respectful. She would make a great umpire-in-chief. But Monsieur Ingenian just causes trouble for no reason, like a rebel without a cause. I don't get why all the girls dig him. 
Buttercup huffs. You are comparing apples and oranges. Monsieur Engagnon has the appearance of being cool and rebellious, but he is a good elf deep down inside. But Mademoiselle Florence puts on this act of being oh so sweet and charming, but she is a snake born from a brood of vipers. Confrontation is not Link's specialty. Out of sheer nervousness, he picks up a small bucket of beans and starts fidgeting with it. You sound so sure of yourself, but I think I know a little something about Monsieur Engagnon that might change your mind. What would you know of Monsieur Engagnon? Look, are you going to spill the beans or buy them? You might be surprised to know that he meets up with Mademoiselle Florence at the Shade Gap often. Buttercup just shrugs. So what? That's where the goblins do their ritual sacrifices. Maybe they're trying to get the drop on the goblins there. Oh, come on. You can't seriously believe that. I have no doubt they're going to hit Paydirt. Lynx cannot fathom why Buttercup is changing her tune so suddenly. You seriously think Mademoiselle Florence and Monsieur Engagnon are going to figure out a way to eradicate the goblins from the hinterlands? No, the beans, shouts Buttercup. The way you're holding them like that, they'll all spill out onto the dirt, and you're going to have to pay for those as well. Frustrated at her stubbornness, Lynx gets even more truculent. You should be happy about that. It seems to be your favorite way to make a sale. I don't need your money. What were you doing spying on them at the Shade Gap anyway? What legitimate business could an elf like you have over at that goblin sacrificial altar? Lynx takes up the challenge to justify himself. Well, you know Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen? Comet and Cupid? Yes, they are some of the most famous war reindeer in our colony. So what? But do you recall the most famous reindeer of all? Maybe Donner or Blitzen, I guess? Why? It ought to be Rudolph. He has a shiny red nose. It's, it's very sensitive. Last Saturn's day, the League of Licorns was holding a recruiting tournament. Thanks to Rudolph, I won the race, but they didn't award me a free commission as a junior cavalry officer. No one has ever heard of a red-nosed reindeer named Rudolph. I can assure you of that much. That's because until last Saturn's day, they never let poor Rudolph participate in any of the reindeer war games. On that foggy tournament morning, the Sandman said to me in a dream, Rudolph's nose is so bright, he'll guide your way, Lynx. When I woke up, I harnessed him, and all the other reindeer riders laughed and called us foul names when we lined up at the starting gate. And then we were off, and the fog was so thick that even the adjudicators got lost. Rudolph seemed to smell every tree and branch and shrub that I could not see. He galloped onward at full tilt, even though we were all blinded by the mist. He carried me across the finish line a full half hour ahead of the first adjudicator. After no one showed up for a while, I started to doubt, so I scouted ahead until I found myself at the Shade Gap. When the fog cleared, guess who I saw running around out there with Mademoiselle Florence? Buttercup waves him away. Oh, Master Lynx, don't even go there. Everybody knows you are jealous because Mademoiselle Zena likes him instead of you. Lynx gets so upset at the accusation that his hand knocks some beans all over his shirt. For your information, it was Monsieur Engagnon running around with no splints on his leg getting all lovey-dovey with Mademoiselle Florence. He's faking his injuries and playing two ladies at the same time. You need to help me warn both elves about his character before he breaks their hearts. Look, Master Lynx, you are full of beans. Fine, don't believe me, but I need you to explain to Mademoiselle Zena what kind of elf Monsieur Engagnon really is, so she won't have the same terrible experience with him that you had. 
how obnoxious of you. I had a wonderful experience with him. Monsieur Engagnon was nothing but a gentleman to me while we dated. He takes a bite from one of his newly purchased apples that fell on the ground. If you keep quiet, he is just going to hurt other maiden elves. I hope you can live with yourself. Link scrunches his face and realizes that the apple is riddled with worms. He spits out his mouthful and wipes off the rest. Buttercup gives Lynx a spiteful glance and sneers. How do you like them apples? Lynx looks down and sees the figs in front of him. Can I have a fig to get that awful taste of the worms out of my mouth? That was gross. I don't give a fig. Look, Monsieur and Gagnon and I found true love together, but we realized that we just couldn't be together for reasons beyond our control, okay? It's complicated. That kind of love is only true in fairy tales. You can go now, Monsieur Lynx. I guess true love is meant for somebody else, but not for you. Lynx stomps off toward his home with his bag of dirty apples, not even bothering to pay for the beans he spilled on his tunic. He finds a secluded spot behind some shrubbery and falls to his knees. On the forest floor, 150 feet beneath the grandiose network of platforms supporting the high elf colony among the giant sequoias, the young wood elf weeps. Grief surges through him in waves, and he prays, O oh Lord, show me what to do. Love is out to get me. Disappointment haunts all my dreams. Then he sees her face. The Pilgrim's Request Ah! You scared me! Mr. Lynx, are you all right? Zena bends down and puts a hand on his shoulder. It looks like you were crying. Me? No, I'm not crying. No, I was just snacking on some apples, and it turns out one of them was actually an onion. It's fine. I was hoping to make a garden salad later on. Uh, what can I do for you, Mademoiselle Zena? Okay, whatever. Uh, my mother asked me to fetch you because you are the only wood elf on Tuscarora Mountain we know who speaks English. My mother got the council's permission to invite a Christian missionary named Reverend Johnny Appleseed to deliver the Thor's Enlightenment Discourse for New Year's Eve, and he accidentally fell over the edge of worship base. Lynx's red eyes glaze over in total bewilderment. Wait, what? Well, Monsieur Engagnon sort of slapped him on the back too hard, and Reverend Appleseed is so tall that the railing didn't do its job. So Monsieur Engagnon killed him? Zena starts pulling Lynx up onto his feet. No, no, no. Mr. Engenian would never intentionally hurt anyone. One of the lower branches caught the missionary, but he hurt his leg pretty bad. Now he's lying in our guest room all by himself. My mother is very busy organizing her next trade convoy, and she was hoping you would pay him a courtesy visit so he would not have to be alone all the time. Lynx gets annoyed at all the excuses she makes for Engenian and says... Do you realize that the major leagues are all holding tournaments this month? I should have won the League of Licorns tournament, but I finished the race before even the adjudicators got to the finish line, so they used that as an excuse to deny me a commission. Now I have to try out for the Justiciar League right after lunch, and my main competitor is none other than your slap-happy friend, Monsieur Engagnon. Maybe he should be babysitting your missionary instead of me, since he's the one who almost killed him and all. Zena pushes Lynx a few feet forward, not taking his attitude. Monsieur Engagnon already went over to apologize, but he can't speak any English. Besides, his leg is in terrible pain. He can only stay out of bed for so long before the pain becomes unbearable. 
Link stumbles back and folds his arm, ready for a confrontation. On that subject, I was just telling Miss Buttercup over there that after the League of Licorns refused to award me the commission I won at their tournament, Xena grows furious and interrupts him. Mr. Link's Cougarson, excuse me if I interrupt your rant, but you can't feel sorry for yourself just because the League of Licorns treated you unfairly. Self-pity is toxic, and the more you indulge in it, the easier it will be for every little setback to tear you down. Now get up off your behind and go compete in the Justiciar League tournament. You are a better shot than Monsieur and Ganyon. I've seen you both shoot myself. You'll win, I'm sure. The expression of shock on Lynx's face slowly drifts into a warm smile. Thank you for that vote of confidence, Mademoiselle Zena. I, I don't know what to say. You never do, Mr. Lynx, says Zena. Just smile and keep on the sunny side. See you after the tournament. She places her Thor's hammer pendant around his neck and kisses him on the cheek. She walks off, and he just stands there in stunned silence until after she is out of sight. And that's when he finally lets the words drip off his tongue like a glob of honey. I love you, Zena. She pops her head back around the corner and with a snide grin calls back to him. I know. Shame. Back up on Thor's base, you would have thought you were at a fashion show, so chic and dapper are all the high elves in the outdoor amphitheater. On the stage sit Florence Kibler's daughter and Xena Jean's daughter, extravagantly dressed as if their lives depended on it. Makeup, jewelry, lace, frills, and glass slippers are not good enough for them today. Both candidates have calculated every detail to look like the kind of leader the Tuscarora elves want for their future. Although she has drowish, dark elf lineage on her mother's side, Florence has dyed her curly hair extravagantly blonde, full of body and volume. Her dress is an amethyst satin with lavender highlights. All her jewelry is platinum or silver, a bold statement about the temperature of her skin. Deep blue gems, black pearls, red and violet precious stones are inlaid sparingly, but impart a grandiose look in both size and luminosity. The centerpiece is the famous Star of Corundum, fashioned after the one worn by Helen of Troy when she first met Paris. Zena walks over to the front stage and bows to the audience in a showy gesture of respect. Although her black dress and vest have the same high-quality satin glow as Florence's and a lusciously glamorous design, her jewelry lacks the zing and surprise that Florence's arrangement delivers, especially since Zena is not without a centerpiece. Her budget simply could not tolerate the kind of extreme makeover Florence's team has put together. Still, Zena's poise, confidence, and studied movements capture their attention. Zena hopes to make up for Florence's budgetary head start with a stirring and bold speech. This election year, I would like to change an unfortunate trend in our democratic system. Instead of bashing and criticizing each other, I propose that we simply share our views on how we see ourselves fulfilling the role of umpire-in-chief. I am sure Mademoiselle Florence has the same mindset as I do on this one, and that we can keep this debate polite and positive. In the magnificent charter that they left for our guidance to preserve the prosperity and racial purity they brought with them from Alfheim, our founding mothers and fathers state emphatically that true excellence is as rare as a pearl in an oyster shell. Prodigious parents do not necessarily produce prodigious children. 
Here I quote our magnificent charter, nepotism and primogeniture always bring about decay in political, social, and economic structures when institutionalized by law or unofficially condoned by the customs of a people. Mademoiselle Florence Kibler's daughter indeed has the advantage of growing up in one of the most illustrious high elf families in Chantelpie City. Her ancestors have managed the same businesses, have led the same social clubs, and have controlled the same governmental posts for generations. My mother's pedigree, in contrast, was hard won through her resourcefulness, talents, and dedication. Many of you still remember her as the young wood elf who earned her status as a high elf by taming a unicorn. Shentlepie City has always counted its unicorn honor guard as the emblem of its vitality and the resourcefulness of its citizens. My mother's ingenuity restored our pride in our traditions, revived our enthusiasm for the magnificent charter, and set her up for success in the business world. Creativity has been her hallmark, and innovation her calling card. When you care enough to wear the best, you wear a dungaree. But I do not stand here before you today asking you, O oh brilliant and gorgeous elves of Tuscarora, to vote for me because of who my mother is, but because of who I am thanks to her. The magnificent charter of Tuscarora Colony forbids us from instituting any form of dynasty in our selection of leadership, but instructs us to elect the umpire-in-chief who is fittest to rule. My mind is fit. My memory holds word for word the poetry of all the runic sagas and wisdom sayings of elf lore that define our cultural heritage. In school, I worked out all the propositions in the geometry of Euclid and Apollonius on my own with only the five postulates. Not only do I speak English and Norachi, but my literacy in dwarvish runic, Latin, Avrith, and Nabotean has enabled me to read the works of more philosophers, historians, and orators than most garden gnomes even own in all their impressive libraries. My body is fit. I have won every competition in archery, running, reindeer riding, and wrestling that my high school ever set up. My title as Miss Tuscarora has held for the last two years, and my first entry in the Saturnalia fashion contest this year met with rave reviews both as a model and as a designer. My spirit is fit. The muses inspire me in every art. I love to draw, compose poetry, dance, and gaze at the stars. When I sing or play flute, I have perfect pitch. My love of music has been the entryway to taming this magic tree you see behind me. It is with great pride that I can announce in three weeks' time, Mage Nittany will observe me call my first magicka branch as an apprentice magicalter at Pin Mage University. Looking out before me at this crowd of smart, athletic, and artsy elves, I know that our founding mothers and fathers would consider you fit in mind, body, and spirit to carry on the ideals they described in the magnificent charter. Only by returning to those ideals can we make this colony great once again and bring about a new golden age for Shentlepiece City. This is my vision for the chief umpirage with your vote. May the gods bless you all with prosperity, insight, and good health for many years to come. Fervent applause erupts as Zena sits down and smiles. By their reactions, she has no doubt she'll be able to keep her lead over Florence in the polls. 
Now the pressure is on for Florence. Though innately shy, Florence is no stranger to public appearances and approaches the stage with an arsenal of smiles and poses. As you all know, Mademoiselle Zina and I have been best of friends since childhood. In the electoral debates, we hoped to focus our discussions on policy and avoid personal attacks or mudslinging. But I cannot. This latest scandal runs too deep. Flabbergasted, the high elves stare at Florence in disbelief. Political discourse in Tuscarora has always been in the gutter, but to hear the sweet, mild-mannered Florence jump straight into that slime hits them all from left field. They would have assumed that the overweening ambitions of the misfit, Zena, might drive her to aim below the belt, but not Florence. Still, Florence is presenting them with a chance to hear some dirt on Zena, and none of them has any intention of passing up on the offer. They tune their pointy ears in. Florence looks at them wide-eyed, almost as if horrified to hear the words coming out of her own mouth, but she has their attention and does not waste a moment of it. It has come to the attention of the Council of Perfects that Madame Jean, the dungaree of foreign trade, has a halfling stewardess named Bartleby, who has sold the alchemical plans to our top-secret weapon, Elf Fire, to the renowned dwarf mercenary, Master Chief Engineer Tom Thumb. The investigation is likely to drag on for months, but I believe you all have the right to know this before the elections. My father has worked day and night over the past twelve years to rebuild Chentlepie City's military infrastructure. If Xena's umpireship squanders our military edge in fire technologies, a disaster worse than the eruption of Mount Ragnarok could befall us right here on Tuscarora Mountain. The Justiciar League is currently conducting a full investigation of Bartleby's betrayal and will ascertain whether or not our monopoly over the colony's top-secret elemental weapon remains intact. Any evidence of collaboration or even negligence on the part of Madame Jean Wrangler's daughter in allowing this elf-fire leak could brand her a traitor. My sincerest hope is that this is all one big misunderstanding— and that we can clear our dungaree of foreign trade from guilt and seal up the leak. If not, may the gods help us. Florence steps down from the stage. The crowd sits in stunned silence at what they just heard. Zena's face drains white like spilled milk. Convicted for treason will result in the confiscation of her family's goods and property by the Council of Perfects. Permanent exile for herself and execution for her mother. Worst of all, Zena could never marry Ganyan with a scandal of those proportions weighing on her dowry. Zena's mind stews. This is not over, Mademoiselle Florence. If you think I won't fight back, you are mistaken. Gravely mistaken.'